Good morning. Yeah, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, my name's Ian, uh, Ian McIntosh, not the one that wrote that last song. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a different Ian McIntosh. He lives down in Reading, and I did live in Reading for a while, actually, and uh, I've had people ask me before, are you the Ian McIntosh from Reading? And uh, well, yeah, I, I did spend some time in Reading, but, but I'm not that one. <laughs> so uh, Mac has some funny stories about that if you want to bug her about it. But no, uh, so my name's Ian, and uh, I'm honored to be part of our preaching team here at uh, Flight of Baptist, and uh, good morning and welcome. And as you saw in that video, uh, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And uh, as I was preparing for this message, it, it reminded me of a poem that I remember reading as I was leaving the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. You, you may recognize the poem. It was written by a, a pastor that lived during Nazi Germany. He was a German pastor named Martin Niemöller, and um, he wrote this after uh, the Holocaust took place, and he was reflecting back on how cowardly the Germans had been, the German citizens had been, in, in failing to resist uh, the, uh, what the Nazis were doing there. So uh, the poem goes, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out, because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. There are people that are experiencing all sorts of tragedy in the world, and someone needs to stand for them. Someone needs to um, speak out, and that's what today is about. It's about remembering what those people are experiencing and actually doing something about it. So uh, I apologize. I didn't expect to get that emotional, but um, it really is happening, you know, all around the world, and this morning, um, I, I hope that we can uh, effectively look at what we face as Christians in America and um, appreciate what we experience while at the same time uh, looking at what's happening around the world and appreciating what's going on in the lives of believers globally. Uh, and how to achieve that balance, how to be able to, um, to, to allow my experience to be validated while... Um, realizing that in the broader spectrum, there's so much more going on. Um, it, uh, the, the only way I could explain that to you would be, uh, there was a guy in my life, uh, his name was Dave Smith. He was my junior high youth pastor. And um, whenever I would have a, a girlfriend and she would break up with me and then I'd get another girlfriend and she'd break up with me, I was broken up with all the time in junior high and high school. And I finally found one that didn't break up with me. And <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but he, he would usually take me out for, you know, soda or um, take me up water skiing after a, a hard breakup and we'd, you know, talk it out and everything. And, and I remember telling him how much I appreciated uh, that, that he took what I was experiencing in, seriously. Because a lot of people would say, oh, you know what, Ian, get over it. It's just puppy love. You're young. You know, there'll be more. And, you know, and, and, and so I told him, I said, you know, um, people have told me that it's just puppy love and that I shouldn't really think it's that big a deal. And I said, why do you think it's a big deal, Dave? And he said, well, you're a puppy. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, that makes all kinds of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> and so for us today in America, um, the, the persecution that we face, um, it, it's real. For, for some of us, we've experienced real persecution, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. And in the persecution that people are facing globally in other parts of the country, in Asia, Middle East, and so on, that's real also. And, and to try to compare uh, one person's experience to another, I don't think is, is what we're supposed to do. I think, you know, what I've experienced is valid. What they've experienced is valid. And sure, I need to definitely appreciate what other people are experiencing. But I, I should never try to compare my own experience to them and say, well, is, mine, is my experience more important than their experience? We are all equally loved and cherished by God. All of our experiences are equally important to him. And so as, as I hope to do this morning, we can, we can move forward kind of with both tracks of that train of thought, thinking about our experience and the global experience. Okay, so uh, I want to um, start this out by looking at, in, in the book of Acts, uh, the, uh, the story of the apostle Paul, who was at the time Saul. Uh, see, the, in the, the church began really as a, uh, as a subsect of the Jewish religion. that People were looking forward to the, the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah. And there were some Jews who identified that they realized that Jesus was that Messiah. They put their faith in him. They trusted in him for salvation, and they became known as Christians. But for the longest time, the early church really was a subsect of Judaism, of the Jewish faith. And uh, there were those in the Jewish religion who thought that those people that believed Jesus was Messiah, uh, they thought that that was heresy, and they wanted to do everything they could to protect the Jewish faith from that heresy known as Christianity. And so uh, one, of the, one of the earliest persecutors of the church was a guy named Saul of Tarsus, and we are introduced to him in the book of Acts in uh, chapter 7, verse um, 57. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab one from the seat pocket in front of you, and if you don't have one uh, to call your own, you can take that. We give it to you freely so it's not stealing. And we want everyone to be able to have God's word. And uh, so Acts chapter 7, verse 57, it says, At this time they covered their ears. Okay, so who is they? They are the Pharisees who had been um, hearing Stephen. Uh, Stephen was one of the, the people that was chosen to serve the widow's um, who were not able to care for themselves. He was one of the deacons that were chosen to serve food. And he was also really well known for being a strong defender of the faith. And so they had, they had pretty much arrested him. They'd called him out and said, okay, tell us, what is this that you're preaching? And so Stephen gave this huge, long, it's, you know, 56 verses worth of, of um, a, a history of the people of God and leading up to Jesus as the crucified and, and resurrected Messiah who had died for their sins. And, and so when they heard that, that part about Jesus, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, throwing rocks at him until he was dead. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were still stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. 
with euphemism for dying, of course. So there we, our first introduction to Saul, Saul of Tarsus, a young Pharisee studying to be uh, what would be a great Pharisee at one point. So fast forward a little bit, and we see his story continued in the beginning of chapter 8 of the book of Acts. Saul approved of their killing of Stephen. And on that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Saul was zealous about protecting the Jewish faith. He was, he was passionate about that. And this isn't like a main point in the message, but I just want to um, mention that we should never mistake sincerity for truthfulness. Sincerity does not equal truth. And there are people out there that are sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. Members of ISIS are sincere in what they're doing, in wanting to eradicate this Christian problem from the world. But they're wrong. So uh, don't, don't be um, overwhelmed by someone's sincerity, but rather seek truth. Okay, so Saul was zealous about this. A great persecution came over the church. And he then went on his way to, uh, to Damascus to persecute the church there. And so we hear the rest of his story, and you may be familiar with the, the story of, of the road to Damascus and the conversion experience. So let's look at that in chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for I asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that would be those that were following the way of Jesus, whether they men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven, whoops, I was not reading quite quick enough, a light from heaven, thank you, flashed around him, okay, <laughs> Um, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? His response, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And at this point, I'm sure that Saul's heart <clears throat> I'm on the wrong team. <laughs> I've been sincerely wrong. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you realized, like, oh, wow, I've been all passionate about the wrong stuff here. So, so there's Saul. Jesus tells him, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And so for, uh, I'll summarize the rest of his story. So for three days, he's blind and he's uh, not eating or drinking. And the Lord sends someone to him. And at first that someone, Ananias, Ananias was his name. And he said, uh, I don't want to go. That's, that's Saul. He's persecuting Christians. I'm a Christian. Why would I want to go talk to him? And, and the Lord said, oh, well, go tell him that he must suffer for my, for my name's sake. And the guy says, oh, okay. <laughs> So I don't know if there's a little something going on there about, you know, why he was all of a sudden willing to go, but 
Um, but so he goes and he tells Saul, and you know, brother Saul, receive your sight, and he became Paul, and and he became Paul that wrote a vast majority of the New Testament. You know, Paul that wrote First um, and Second Corinthians and Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, all, all the, these epistles, these letters to churches. He's the one that that traveled and took the gospel to the known world. He became sincerely right about doing what God had called him to do. And so as we, as we look at this whole idea of persecution, um, again, in this attempt to, to see what we're experiencing and to appreciate what's going on globally and see how we can be part of that, I've got three questions that I want us to walk through. And th- this first one, uh, quite simply, would be, um, are you persecuted? So are, are you persecuted? It, if you, and, and now... Um, you might say, well, nobody's been kicking down my door and, and dragging my kids out and t- hauling me off to prison because I'm a Christian. Okay, yeah, me either. Uh, but persecution of Christians does happen in America. Uh, so I think we need to acknowledge that it does exist in America. Um, Think of the pastors in Texas. Uh, uh, this has been going on uh, the last few weeks. I don't know if you heard about what was going on down there, but there was an alliance of pastors that got together to try to, um, you know, mobilize the Christian community to uh, to push back against some some unbiblical legislation. And the the mayor um, in Houston subpoenaed a whole bunch of pastors' sermons and emails and all sorts of. And the the subpoena went way beyond what would be uh, reasonable. And uh, and many, many people, um, Christian and non-Christian, would acknowledge that, yeah, these these pastors in Houston are being persecuted because they've been preaching the truth of God's word. And so uh, it's it's real. It's happened. You know, Um, think of, well, uh, I asked Mac if I could share this story with uh, of her situation when she went. I call it Pagan State University, uh, PSU. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope if any PSU alumni, I'm sorry, you know, but um, my wife is a PSU alumni, but, <laughs> but um, at, at PSU, uh, she took a class, I think it was on Hispanic cultural appreciation or something, and um, I, I didn't clarify the details too much, it's been a long time since she told me the story, the, uh, I think the professor was openly gay, and she was openly Christian, and uh, her grade openly went down, <laughs> and and she uh, she was called out by him in in class in front of you know he would make uh, uh, condescending comments towards towards her or about her and about Christians and you know right in the middle of the class and everything. So uh, you you may have experienced situations like that in school or uh, at the workplace you know where where you feel like you've got a target on your back because. Uh, because you identify with Jesus. So um, uh, it's been a bit over 20 years since I was in a public school, and I remember feeling that way um, at times in a public school. I can only imagine what you young people are facing now because it's probably um, gotten worse in some situations. So so it does happen. Um, families, right? Like uh, I've got a, a pretty good section of my family that that does not claim to follow Christ. And there are times that I make decisions based on, um, on what I believe God is calling me to do, and, and they don't understand why I'm making that decision, and they get offended, and it hurts our relationship, and they, 
um, they think badly and talk badly about me because of that. You know, so it happens in families. So um, when, when that happens, we need to endure that. Endure it by following the example of Christ. And one way we can follow the example of Christ is to know that we are in good company. We are in good company. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, we did a series here a while ago called He Said What? Looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this was one of those. Uh, Blessed are you when people insult you, and they persecute you falsely, and, and, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when Max sits in class at Pagan State University, she can rejoice because she knows that that's the same way that the prophets were treated before her. Or when, when your coworkers or your family members um, react negatively to Christ in you, you can rejoice because you know that you're in good company. That's the same way the prophets of the old were treated. And we also see in... Um, in, I lost my place. In Second Peter, chapter 2, uh, verses 21 through 25. I'm sorry, First Peter, thank you. That's why I put it in the notes, because not always solid up here. <laughs> so in, in First Peter, chapter 2, uh, Peter says, How is it to your credit if you receive a beating or uh, for, for wrongdoing and endure it? In other words, if I act like a jerk face and somebody... Um, gives me what I deserve, and then I'm like, ooh, suffering for Jesus. Like, no, I'm suffering because I'm a jerk face. <laughs> there's, no, there's no honor in that. There's no reward or no glory in that. And I, and I do think that sometimes there are Christians who are just absolutely obnoxious, and they would say they're being persecuted for the Lord. And maybe they should consider some other alternatives to the source of that. So, anyway, so Peter says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for wrongdoing and then you endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, when we suffer because we identify with Christ and people react against Christ in us, um, not only do we have the comfort of the prophets who, who endured similarly, but we have the comfort of Christ himself who in, endured for no, no reason. He did not, he did not deserve the suffering. He did not deserve the persecution. And so we can follow his example uh, by, um, by enduring when, when that persecution comes. So a, a third way that we can endure is to, know, um, uh, is to know that we're not alone. 
Did I get that one wrong too? Uh, yes, thank you. To know that you have a good reward would be the second way. To know that we have, so we, we can endure by knowing that we're in good company, and then we can endure by knowing that we have a good reward. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. Again, speaking of Jesus and how he was able to endure. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this referring to all of chapter 11 where it talked about, you know, all the, the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. We're, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus endured suffering by looking beyond the suffering. He saw what was on the other side. He saw the, the hope of glory. He saw the redemption of, of mankind. He saw being seated at the right hand of God. And so this momentary affliction that he was enduring, um, he was able to endure it because he was seeing beyond that, he had hope for what was on the other side of the suffering. We can endure because we have hope for what's on the other side of the suffering. And then uh, thirdly, we can endure by knowing that we are not alone. I love this story in Exodus chapter 3. God calls Moses you know, the burning bush, that's a great way to get someone's attention. Set a bush on fire and it never gets consumed. It's because God is there, you know, manifesting in physical form to get Moses' attention. So in, in Exodus chapter 3, God is speaking to Moses and he's trying to tell him, you know, go get my people. And, and so in verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out. Because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, the, all those otherites. Uh, and, and now the cry of Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. See, for 400 years, they were suffering under slavery in Egypt. And I'm sure they were thinking, okay, where is God? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Yeah, it sure would be nice if he was the God of us. They're suffering for 400 years. And God says, I have heard their crying. I've seen their affliction. I have come down. And I'm going to send you, Moses, to bring them out of that. God does not leave us alone in, his, in, in our suffering, in our affliction. He sees, he cares, he is moved by what we experience. And I know there have been times when, when that, the, the truth of that statement has been the only thing that has gotten me through some really difficult times, knowing that when I'm suffering, he cares, he is moved, he comes down, and he sends help. <laughs> so we are not alone. And knowing that, we can endure. 
We see that again in, in Acts 9, the story with uh, Paul, Saul, on the road to Damascus, when Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus takes that personally. When, when somebody messes with his kids, well, his brothers, God's kids, um, God takes that seriously. You know, it's like uh, those statements about, like, you want to mess with me, you got to get through my brother, you know? <laughs> Well, if you want to mess with me, you got to get, get through God. And there are times that he will allow that, but he takes it personally. You know, um, he doesn't just leave us a- abandoned. You know, like that song that we opened the service with, uh, we're not abandoned, we're not destroyed. So he cares. We are... We, we can endure because we know we are in good company. We know that we have a good reward. And we know that we are not alone. Okay, so how else should we respond if we are persecuted? Uh, we can allow it to spread the gospel. We can allow it to spread the gospel. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And, and he says, you will be filled with uh, the Holy Spirit with power from on high, and you will be um, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the mission all along was to take the, the gospel and go global with it, right? He said, you're going to start here in Jerusalem, and you're going to spread out. That's what he said in Acts 1.8. Now in Acts 8.1, we see that actually happening, but not until the persecution came. So in, in Acts 8.1, it says there was um, great persecution um, that, that rose, and it, it says uh, right there that um, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So that spreading of the gospel took place uh, through the persecution. So God used that uh, to accomplish his plan for the, for the church spreading. So we can, we can allow um, our suffering to spread the gospel. Paul was a good example of that. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, I know we're doing a lot of Bible turning here, so if you, um, you can just read it from the screen if you, if you can't keep up. Um, so after Paul uh, started being sincerely right in preaching the gospel of Christ, uh, he ended up in prison because of it. Which is kind of ironic, uh, if you think about it. He was taking Christians and dragging them out of their homes and throwing them in prison. And then he started preaching the gospel. He ended up in prison because of the gospel. So, um, anyway, I think that's ironic. So he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says, now I, do, I, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul was allowing his circumstances to be a vehicle through which the gospel was spread, no matter where he was at, whether it was in prison or, or not. He was allowing that to spread the gospel. Okay, so that first question we asked was, are you persecuted? Uh, the second question would be, are you a persecutor? And that just gets a little personal, doesn't it? Well, of course we're not a persecutor, right? I mean, you're here at church on a Sunday morning. You're not persecuting Christians, 
not in some sense, but and I'm just going to read read this to you. We don't have it up on the screen, but I want to read from Matthew 25, verse 30, um, 35. Jesus is talking about the final judgment, and he says that the king will come and say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So it's a, it's a bit of a jump, but I would propose to you that the opposite is also true. If I act in a way that blesses someone, I'm, I'm doing that to Jesus. But what if the way I act towards someone is not a blessing? What if what's coming out of my mouth is more like those violent words of hatred that, that Saul was spewing when he was persecuting the church? What if when I see someone um, suffering, I don't come to their aid? What if I'm sitting in the lunchroom and I see that person sitting all alone and I figure, no, I'd rather stay here with my friends? Or what if I hear that someone has a, a very legitimate need and I say, oh, I've got my own troubles to deal with? In some way, that neglect is also neglecting Jesus. And I'll be honest, there have been times when, when I have been guilty of, of that neglect of Jesus. Probably more times than I'm even aware of. Uh, not to mention times that I've been uh, overt. See, there's, there's omission and commission. So maybe by neglect, I've done that to Jesus. But there have also been times when just because I'm, I'm a rotten stinker sometimes, and I act like it sometimes, I'm... I'm doing that to Jesus. So am, am I a persecutor? Well, the way that I treat others reflects my love for God. So the, the deal is, I mean, we don't have people busting our doors down. You know, I don't lay awake at night in fear that someone's going to drag my kids out into the cul-de-sac and shoot them in the head because they love Jesus. That's not a fear that I'm dealing with. There are people in the world today that face that legitimate fear. And so whether it's with the, the lonely kid in the lunchroom or the person that fears because of their faith, uh, we need to know that um, inaction is the wrong action. Um, not stopping evil is evil. Indecision is a, a no decision. So we ought to be moved to do something.
So I'll give you three easy ways that we can actually do something uh, and be part of the solution. Uh, the, the first, yeah, so uh, are you part of the solution? I hope that we all will be part of the solution. Three easy steps that we can take uh, to, to be part of the solution. The first step would be to identify with those who are suffering, those who are persecuted. Uh, on, on the stage here, you, you see the shirts that we wear, and Mac explained that really well, how we are identifying uh, with, with those people who are suffering because they claim to be following Jesus. It's a small thing to wear a t-shirt, but, but even, even something like this can create awareness. It, it can, so a whole lot of people, of course, it might be because there were a dozen of us wearing them, but a whole lot of people said, hey, what's with the shirt? <laughs> Gave us an opportunity to say, oh, you know, we're going to be talking about how globally the church is persecuted. So um, just something as simple as wearing a shirt gives us an opportunity to, to spread awareness. And when people become aware of something, then they can actually do something about it. In, uh, in Hebrews 13.3, I don't have it up on the screen, but I'll read it for you. Um, oh, I do. Wow. I did a good job. <laughs> uh, he says to continue, remember, continue to remember those in prison as if, you were together with them in prison. Those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. See, we're told to identify with them. And, uh, and Paul in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six said that when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer because we are connected. My body is connected. You know, my, what's that little song we sing? The, the hip bones connected to the, uh, uh, you know, the body is connected, right? And so being connected, when, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. So when they're, when they're suffering in Indonesia, we need to feel that. And if, if my ankle gets rolled, say like when I'm doing a, a manly race at Camp Tadmore, and it hurts, then, um, then the rest of my body takes notice and does what it can to, to help. That's what we do. We're a body. Another thing you can do is to pray for those who are being persecuted. There's a, an, um, there are a couple of websites at the bottom of your notes there. And uh, at one of them, you can go to it and subscribe for a, a weekly um, list of prayer requests or ways that you can pray for the globally persecuted church. So you can, you can pray. God moves when his people pray. I don't claim to understand how he is completely sovereign and uh, doesn't need us, yet he has chosen to involve us in his divine plan. All I know is that he's told us to be involved and to pray. And so we ought to pray for those who are suffering. And thirdly, uh, we can support organizations that are doing something. Uh, there's Voice of the Martyrs and several others, and you've got those websites at the bottom of, of your notes there. So, so whether the persecution, whether the suffering is, is in your family, at your workplace, in your school, or whether it's around the world, um, I'm, I'm encouraged to know that God cares, he sees, he acts, and he wants us to be part of that. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do care. Thank you that there's not a single thing that happens to any one of us that you have not allowed. And that um, sometimes you allow those things that you hate to accomplish those things that you love. And God, I don't understand uh, how that works, but I'm so thankful that you do it. And so... God, would you please move in each one of our hearts, move us towards your heart. Help us to to know how it is that you want us to be part of the solution Uh, in our own immediate context and in the global setting. God, would you please um, move us in that direction? In Jesus' name, amen.